You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at Ice and FireCon 2018. This is a very salty Dornish panel. Um, I'm very glad I came up with that name a little bit. Uh, So we'll just introduce uh, the other people that are here. We have far right, we have Emmett, who is also known as Paul Quentin from Sonalize and Fry University. Yeah, I'm Amad, I'm Sonalize and Fry University. I'm a half of Nauticast, a podcast going chapter by chapter to the books with uh, Brendan Beefish, aka Jeff Hartline. And you can find my stuff at poorquentin.tumblr.com or just at poorquentin on Twitter. That, and next to me, even closer, is the uh, cosplayer author, <laughs> all around cool person, organizer of the convention, uh, Tara. Yeah. So. Okay. If, yeah, yeah. At this point, if you don't know who I am, like, I don't. I, I said this earlier. If you don't know who I am at this point, then I, I, then good for you because that means you haven't. Actually, good for me because that means you haven't seen me running around like a chicken with my head cut off, freaking out about everything. But she does it so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Tara, my name is Tara, and um, obviously, uh, Ice and Fire Con um, is is the big thing, but but personally, you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, which I never use, honestly, uh, Instagram, pretty much any social media I have is at a geek saga, so that's, that's my personal stuff if you want to follow me on, like, you see lots of pictures of my cats. And I'm Mo, I, uh, I have a Facebook page that I Monstrous Cosplay of D and Monstrous Mo on Instagram, and I might be making a Tumblr. <laughs> uh, I have it on my app, but I need to find a clever ice waffle with username. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm brainstorming that. But other than that, that's all I got, and I just wanted to make the panel because I thought it would be a fun idea. And then they wanted to join me, and I said, well, of course. So, so we have that. Um, so, okay, let's talk about Dawn. Don't we love Dawn, but also kind of hate some people? <laughs> what they've done for Dawn? Yes. Yes. Good panel, guys. Good panel. That's it. That's it. Okay. Oh my god. Now, see. Okay. Uh, I had actually, I made banners and I was going to bring them and totally forgot. Right. <laughs> that story of my life. Right. Uh, Just no, like how the show did Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Such a plan. Because guess what? I had the other banner and I had the dark banner. Guess what? Those would have been really cool storylines to put in Dawn uh, stuff, but they didn't. Thanks, Stephen D. Uh, so, what we had was just a, a few like sources you should be looking at, I guess, uh, for other Dawn stuff, whatever we don't talk about. Uh, the one we had was first was Preston Jacobs, which he's just got a lot of material out there. Uh, there's something called the Dawn's Master Plan, and Quentin is alive in the Deeper Dawn, but it's also a bit tinfoil. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and it's just like God, PJ is the worst, you know, like terror on the parentheses. And I'm sorry, but, but it, I mean, it's 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 content about Dawn. It's, it's he cites all of his things, which I think is really positive. Yeah, uh, I agree. There should be more content on Dorna's stuff, and he puts a lot of work into his. So. Yeah, he, he puts a lot. Well, I disagree with every single conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate that as well. I, I, do th- I do think, it, yeah, because he does have a lot, because he puts a lot of emphasis on things possibly being to science fiction, because George Romano obviously wrote a lot of sci-fi. Sure. Uh, so that's what gets kind of tinfoil. But like I said, I do like that he does set his sources and throws in nice, nice little pictures and all that. Exactly. Stuff. And he's got, you know, he 
These videos emphasize that there's stuff worth digging at and going as much yeah. as any other part of the story, which I think is something that's often neglected. People invest a lot of theories and speculation and kind of literary ideas into many other aspects of the story, and Dorn often gets kind of ignored in those ways, but I think there's just as much to pull out of it there. So yeah. kudos for that, for sure. Exactly. I, I was, I remember, because I was watching Quint, he got one of Quint being alive, and I'm like, he got into the science of combustion with whips and dragon fire. And <laughs> that's like, not what this is, dude. It's not, it's not a textbook. It's not textbook, no. Yeah. It's a story. But I'm like, I appreciate the detail, at least. Um, <laughs> and then there's, a, there's a, another YouTuber called Rawrest, mm -hmm. um, which I've, I've listened to a lot of those stuff. It's, it is a lot of, I think, there's some kind of, like, we get over regurgitation of stuff that's Yeah, I, I, think, there, I but, think a lot of what she does is just reading out loud yeah. uh, and I, I don't know I don't know if she writes her own stuff but honestly everything that I've listened and I'm not like bashing or anything but because it's at least it's something to listen to um, but like uh, it does sound like most of what she does is kind of just pulled from like the wiki and, and yeah. local vice and fire and everything it's very basic stuff and that's kind of uh, like, like again, like you've been saying, is like I would love more content on Dorn. I know there's a lot of like writing, like written theories out there, but I like to listen to things when I'm when I'm like working or driving or whatever. So, so there's not enough. Um, but uh, get on it, people. Well, we're here. We're here to try to fix that, right? right? Like, we're try I'm, to fix it I'm, and talk to you guys about Dorn. I'm at least trying to put a, like a bandaid on <laughs> as best as I can. Um, then there was another YouTuber, uh, Squiver TV. It's like a really, it's like kind of like, it's like a couple half hour videos, but he just like just talks about everything you could possibly imagine with Dawn in the maps because he kind of talks about where everything's located, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and other than that, I just had the World of Ice and Fire and the Wiki of Ice and Fire that kind of gives you all of the lore that we can possibly have. And, you know, that somebody sources, has all the references in the Wiki for any house you could imagine. So, yeah, can't go wrong with the books and the wiki. <laughs> really care. Um, so that's things you can look up on your own, I suppose. But we will start talking about the past of Dorn. Um, and the first thing we'll talk about is the Ten Thousand Ships and Warnish lore in Amelia, because Amelia is the best. <laughs> sure it is. Um, I always, I just think it's a really cool story, and you know, I don't, I don't know what. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very much something out of legend, like mm -hmm. a lot of the history, like, you know, Blaine the Clever and all that one, all that stuff. Um, yeah. But with, with the Myriad, there's like, there's a lot more physical proof of, of what happened mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, that were, that were given in the story and everything, which is neat. I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely got that, that sort of tall tale aspect to it in some ways. Like, I think, what is it? They shouldn't actually have, the, the, the big thing is they shouldn't actually have 10,000 yeah, ships. Yeah, 10,000 ships they weren't on nice stories. Story. They weren't on nice ships. That's what sorry. you come up with when you want something to sound epic. You pick a round number. Yeah. So, yeah. Very there's, definitely, there's definitely that aspect to it. Sure. First. Yeah. Exactly. You make things up. Great example. Say, uh, I, I heard that there were some people who came here that wanted part of the photo shoot, but because it was raining, they didn't know where it was. Oh. We are doing it straight down, just around the corner from the balcony at the back. And Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Yeah, sorry guys. When we have stuff that's scheduled outside, sometimes yeah, weather right. gets in the way. Thankfully, this is something small and not the wolf pictures or like oh, yeah. not the tournament. True. So, so, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, prior to the arri arrival of Nymeria and her however many ships, uh, Dornish history is 
not exceptionally interesting. It's I mean, there's some cool stories, but it's very similar to the stories of the rest of the Seven Kingdoms, where you have you know smaller fiefdoms arrive, struggle pitilessly for power, gradually kingdoms expand, you know, law and culture and architecture and roads expand along with them. With Dorne, there's the added interest of water being this kind of priceless commodity because, of course, it's a desert for the most part. So you have kind of uh, lots of cultural institutions built on water. I mean, the very first sentences in Ariane's first POV chapter, the Queen Maker, about her and her party arriving at a well and kind of how, how central it is to that location. But yeah, once you have Nymeria show up is when Dorne really starts developing into Dorne as we know it, as a cultural identity. Uh, you have the emphasis in uh, Nymeria's exiled people on uh, women having authority and being warriors and taking political charge, and that filters across most Dornish houses in the wake of the wake of their arrival. You have just the kind of general theme of uh, exiled peoples coming to a place and immersing culturally and bringing their own ideas and how Dorne kind of uh, ends up being more kind of culturally open and permissible and tolerant than a lot of other parts of Westeros in large part because of that influence. And of course you have what Nymeria's people were running from, which was the Valyrians who had, had conquered uh, their lands and their people in Essos. So right away you have this theme of Dorne versus the dragons. That Dorne is the part of Westeros that's going to most strongest, most strongest resist Valyrian influence, as we see throughout the arrival of Targaryens in Westeros. That gets more complicated when Dorne, of course, marries uh, the, the Martells rather marry into the Targaryens and are brought into the realm that way. And after that, they sort of have a more investment Targaryen control, and we can see that up to the date in in the Song of Ice and Fire. But and we'll get into this as we get into the future of House Martell and Dorne, that might uh, end up rebounding on themselves, and we might we might once again find Dorne taking on the dragons in a disastrous way. Yeah. <laughs> what he said. Good stuff. Good job. Good job. I mean, yeah, I, I, I couldn't really add much more to that, though I do, I, as a theme, I do like the whole idea of, like, kind of Nymeo being like this grand leader of the island of Misfit Toys kind of deal, which is like, we found a spot, it's ours, and we'll fight tooth and nail to take it, and I just think that's a really cool story to have. Like Tara said, it's really romantic. Yeah. I remember seeing the picture of her in, in the World of Ice and Fire, like oh, looking right. out over the horizon which from her like, ship. Um, you know, long, beautiful, flowing. Yeah, it was one of those images, some of those images in that like book are just clearly just right from his imagination, and that was one of those, you can see uh, just that she had a whole or whole kingdom in mind, a whole yeah. plan in mind in that moment. Whole people exactly, and it's a it's a really inspiring kind of origin myth and creation story. And a lot of a lot of when you go back into the backstory of this world, you get more cynical as you go. Yeah. You find out like, oh, these guys weren't that interesting or weren't that different from what we thought. But that that's one story you kind of you get really swept up in the romance of it once you get into it. Well, I mean, and, and I mean, now you're arriving, and uh, she she is the reason why the Martells became the ruling house. Like, exactly. like you said, it was all these little fiefdoms, and then Nymeria shows up and marries. Um, I can't. Moors. Moors. Yeah. Like, uh, of Sam. Yeah, Moors. So she marries Moors Martell, and they turn into that. They turn into the ruling dynasty like fairly quickly. Um, you know, after that. So this this woman showing up and uh, changing the entire history of that area of Westeros. I mean, honestly, that's why I love Dorne so much because it's really the one uh, place in Westeros where we get to see women be like leaders uh, of their own accord. And it's, it's really all thanks to her. So. I always find, I would make, I could somehow make the argument that the North is more culturally diverse to some extent, but I feel like truly the Dawn has way more cultural diversity into it because you have first men in the Andals and the Royal North, which are the only, they're only there. 
Uh, and I think that's just great because, I mean, he doesn't like the blending of cultures and food. And, you know, yeah, he's just saying, I hope. I agree about the North, though. I mean, when we just mentioned Moore's Montella, I remember, oh, right, Moore's Umber also yeah. exists. They have his name in common, even though they're at the opposite sides of Westeros. Postman, exactly. Postman. So I think there are both North, North, the North and Doran have that kind of romantic independent streak in common. Yeah. Where it's like, we, we, we were here before Westeros as a common cultural identity was a thing. We believed in ourselves, so you have, you have that in common for sure, I agree. Which, there's a passage in World of Ice and Fire talking about a maester who says, like, who, who explains that his, like, right. they're both fiercely independent because one's hot, one's cold, but, like, they never truly had to fight and lose to the dragons, you know, and it's, you know, because Torn knelt, which, you know, whatever, but he knelt, I was a smart move. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, uh, Mary at that point was like, no. And then they had to get married in because they needed to be seen as equals. So yeah, it, that, that it was sense. almost opposite reactions, right? The North surrendered to the Targaryens, but really after that, they still largely governed themselves, except yeah. for Jaehaerys and Alysanne showing up to kind of lay down the law. The North were mostly left alone. All the you know, there was the the Dornish resisted fiercely. You have that that great line when uh, uh, Rhaenys, right, who shows up. In, in Sunspear, when the Targaryens first arrive in Westeros, and says you know, they come to you know have everyone in Westeros bend the knee, and the Martells say you know this is this is Dorne, you are not wanted here. And it's just this chill goes down their stomach to get that this yeah. is kind of sense of uh, that fierceness, which has really defined how Dorne kind of resisted from right. that point on. And it just kept going um, because then there was Aegon's conquest, and that didn't work out as well. He lost Rhaenys and a dragon, which was pretty yeah. impressive, um, and then. Dorne eventually got annexed, of course, as we know, but I first married into it. And then you have the rebellion, which I also think is very interesting for Dorne because yeah. on the Targaryen side, finally after the marriage, but then they've been like, ever since then we know them to be incredibly cautious about everything. So. It's the grand army, like they were yeah. the outcasts for so long, the 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 you know, the underdog, the you know, being beaten up by the Empire, and then as soon as they bought in as soon as they became in charge, they suffered for it, you know? When Robert's Rebellion, suddenly the Dornish are on the side of the establishment, so yeah. to speak, and, and you, you get the horrible uh, rape and murder that is inflicted upon House Martell as a result, so. Yeah. And that's a, that's a theme, constant theme with Dorne too, is just as they get into power, everything starts starts going horribly wrong. Well, really, just as, just as soon as they get involved in things outside of Dorne, because I mean, Excellent again, point, like, yeah. look, they, they sent over into King's Landing, which that does not go they well. They sent Quentin to Slaver's Bay, how they go? But right, but when they fight on their own terms, when they fight on Dorne's soil, they win every time. I mean, as you were saying, like, it's the guerrilla campaign against Egan the Conqueror, which is a really inspiring, amazing thing, that they have dragons, these, you know, flying weapons of mass destruction. But the Dornish are able to hold on to their land by, you know, fighting back with, with arrows or like, you know, attacking and then running away and, and disappearing amidst the sands, really classic guerrilla techniques. And it, 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 I mean, it shows like you have this combination of this real fantasy element, this real unreality thing, and then the kind of hard military stuff, which I think is really interesting. So I think like there's also, we have, the, of course, the North has suffered from Southern ambitions. So I feel like sure. there's also for Dorn, there's a sense of Northern ambitions. Yeah, I think it's great. That's great. Trademark. Little trademark. Northern. 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 Gotta make it slow. Trouble sometimes here in Mo. Is your microphone turned up as loud as everybody else's? Oh, you might. I think you might just. You might need to speak closer to the wall. Okay. I also mumble, so that doesn't help. I mumble and I ramble. I'm hard to talk to. Yeah. Okay. So I'll. I'll. Yeah. First panel. Okay. So let's talk. So I think we've narrowed it down. 
nail down the past a little bit. Uh, we could talk about the present. Um, so do we want to talk about the show first and just get that band-aid out of the way? <laughs> it's festering with them. Yeah, I, I think it's better to just rip it off, um, especially because there is, we do actually have, you know, kind of new material from uh, when, you know, chapters that have been released from Winds of Winter, so that's, exactly, fun. that's yes. fun to talk about uh, because it does show us that there is more to Dorne. Excellent um, point, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, so yeah, let's, let's rip off that show band-aid. Okay, so the show... Is kind of terrible. We all know this. <laughs> In multiple ways, it's not a good time. If you watch the show, yeah. If, if, I mean, I'm not saying. I mean, this is very like. Let's be real. That the dynamic even people who have who have not read the books know that Dorn in the show was a mess. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've read is... articles from people who are like, I don't like. I've only watched the show, and this. What what were they doing? I, re I was reading some listicle a couple like, a week or two ago, and it was like worst uh, worst like show storylines or worst show characters or something. And it specifically said the Sand Sinks. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, this is an area. Even if you're into it for the spectacle or for the acting, which is fun. and you're willing to ignore script problems, which is totally fine. I do that with plenty of shows, but that was when would, even that couldn't save you because the, yeah. the cheapness and ineptitude of the execution of the fight <laughs> scenes of the storyline was just so blatant yeah. that there was really, there was nothing cool to distract you. So it just fell apart. I didn't, I didn't actually watch too much of the show, to be honest, because I, I read the books, um, which doesn't make it better, but that's, that's yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. I don't, I think you could have been, they cut up all of the cool characters. I mean, the Sand Snakes are cool. I love those three. Doran's neat. Elio's cool. But uh, you're missing all of Doran's children. Except for Triste. Right. Yeah. He was just like, there. There was no way they had to try to make a queen. Right. There was no Quentin. Poor Quentin. Way to do that all day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember being baffled by the decision to leave Ariana because that's a character designed for HBO. She like skis politically in bed naked. Like there's nothing. Like that's a, that's a big cinematically. Yeah, a big I mean, Martin used to write for TV. You can tell with him writing Ariana scenes that he had like the blocking and the scene transitions in mind. It's perfect. I mean, this was Canon's exposition. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Some stuff I get why I don't adapt. I you know, I I love the Griffin and Griff storyline, but I get why that's not in the show. It would seem like complete bloat and a waste of time in that medium. But excising Ariane and choosing instead to focus on the Sand Snakes, who are fine, but they're they're there for like, you know, to provoke the story and Doran. They're there to be angry, and then the main characters, Doran and Ariane, really have to react to them. If you make them the focus, yeah, I think you've, especially if you take away all their defining traits and just make them all kind of anonymous, which I can't even tell them apart. In the oh show. yeah, I have no idea which one is which. Yeah, I mean. In the books, like they're just they're, like they've got the perfect comic book division. Like you got Alvara, she's the warrior, and she gets drunk, and she's angry, and she's loud. She's got this sad backstory, and then Amiria is the politician and the smart one, and talks really well. And Tyene is the one that pretends to be sweet and innocent, but she's the most dangerous one. Like they're not super depthful, but they're really well defined. You can tell what each one wants to do and why they want to do it. And in the show, they're just there. And just one has, it's not even well. It's not even sexy. It's not. It's, there's nothing. Yeah. And even with the other sense, like you, you forgot Sorella, who True. we don't True. have much about her in the in, in the books yet. That's fine. But like 
Cynthia, well, she's at Old Town, so it could have been cool to, you know, have a, you know, Sam shows up all like, yeah, I don't know, because why do I have my dad's sword? And, uh, and you know, you just see this cool, uh, you just see another cool maester who's actually, you know. Lord. They're a lord's daughter, not sell swords. Yeah. They act like. Yeah, they, that's they, the thing. They act, I don't know, they're just randomly marching around the door or something. They're violent in the books, but they're not stupid. Yeah, like, they're yeah. supposed to have a plan and an agenda that's not... I mean, so for me, what I love about yeah the Dorna storyline in Feast for Crows is you have this setup that keeps constantly changing. Like at the start of that storyline, it's the Sand Snakes. They're a threat. They want vengeance for their father. The Oberon killed in King's Landing. Dorne is angry, and that's what Duran is focused on. He has an arresting thing. Okay, that's the plot. And then suddenly it changes, and it's actually about Ariane, who's just in the background at first, but then she's got the secret plan cooking, and he's telling her secret lover about it. You think, okay, it's going to be about her. It's her story. She wants to go make herself the, uh, the heir to Dorne, get crowned Marcella, and this is going to be the storyline. Then that plan completely falls apart, and her father finds out about it, and it falls to pieces in front of her eyes, her lover was killed, she's, she's taken off as prisoner, and then you think, okay, it's just about the clap, that's, that's what the story's about. And then at the very end of it, you know, her father quietly revealed that he's been a Targaryen supporter this whole time, and it completely changes everything that came before. Yeah, the long times of exactly, it's great, and it's this very great plot construction where every beat is planned. It takes place over only four chapters, but it's enough for a whole novel in terms of twists and your understanding of what's going on. And Durant's speech is so good. And Durant has this amazing monologue where this guy has been like so restrained the whole time and the most, you know, uh, Tywin describes him as cautious, almost indolent to a degree as a schemer. And that you get this sense that he's finally saying the words he's been waiting so long to say to somebody. To his daughter, the person he's been holding back from the whole time. And he whispers, and presses the black the, the dragon piece into her palm and uh, it's one of those moments we all remember reading from the books. And I was and then in the show instead of one person saying song. the vengeance, justice, fire and blood speech like makes sense. Uh, they had you have Vengeance and justice, and then Varus just walks in to say fire and blood. Like he's been waiting behind the hedge. Listening. This is the part in my speech, guys. We had it planned out. We had slow souls and everything. With, with Elena, who clearly, like, there's been a strong rivalry with Dorne. Like, right. they say it in the show, I, even, I don't even remember the show, but they're like, yeah, the Leech and Dorne kind of hate each other because they keep raiding each other, yada, yada. But then it's like, oh, yeah, Elena and Alaria, who are just, they're just now friends. They're just now together. Because we're Yeah, friends. I mean, it's just, it's the facade of drama that kind of has taken over the show a lot of points where like I understand from the staging that this is supposed to be important but just the way they're actually executing the dialogue and the characters is just not dramatic at all and then the books Dorne isn't perfect there are some secondary characters that I think you know Ariel Hoda Eris Elkhart are not superbly developed compared to the secondary characters in other parts of the story but the structure is really strong and you get what's going on the whole time whereas with Dorne I was on the show I was just watching I was just genuinely going what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Which is not usually my question. Like, the, usually the show is bad in other ways. Not even just getting across the information to me. I mean, like, what's happening? Alaria kills Marcella with poison lipstick. What are you watching? Like. Joel Schumacher, guest director of Game of Thrones. But I, 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 and Alaria is, you know, as much as the sand stakes are just disgusting and frustrate me in the show, like, Alaria is one of those like in the books when Oberyn dies, she 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 doesn't want revenge. She just wants her family to be safe, and she wants 
peace and she doesn't want any more children to lose their you know their loved ones and or come to harm and like instead in the show she is just one track mind uh you know and i just it, it's sad because I, I guess they thought that they couldn't make her an interesting or believable character by having her instead of want revenge want to you know just sit back and mourn her lover and protect her family Which, yeah she's it's got depressing, really. she's got that amazing monologue in the books where you know they've been delivered gregor's skull the the head of the man who killed her lover in this horrible public fashion and you got his daughters you know claiming that they're going to wipe out the lannisters you got the children in revenge for it and she has this monologue about you know here's here is the skull of your father's killer can I can I take this to bed? Can I drink with it? Will it make me laugh when I am old? Will this give me any of the things that your father gave me? This is what vengeance is worth to me. It's just a skull. It doesn't help any. Of, it doesn't solve any of our emotional wounds. It hasn't brought Dorn back to its its prior place. It's just nothing. Um, and the same things disagree, of course. And I think Duran disagrees at some level. He really, understandably, you know, this horrible thing happened to his sister and her children. He wants some kind of closure and catharsis for it. But what she's saying is that it's not, it's, you're not gonna have it. You're gonna, you could, Duran's gonna could take over the whole kingdom and, and kill everyone who came, was connected to the people who hurt his family, and he's still not gonna have a sister back. Yeah. And I feel like what was also good with the lie, which I, I will say, Indira Valma is the actress who plays the lie. Yeah. Really good job, by the way. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm the show was acting, but like, I'm like, Really good. She did a great job of what job. she was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like with Alari they missed out because they forgot all the younger sand snakes, so we don't understand why she has all this revenge just for her husband when she understands that she could be breaking the cycle to protect her actual children, even over whatever bastard children and step kids, whatever. But uh there was, there was that and I I feel like would also end up happening, which I had friends who are not here but they also have very strong feelings about going. <laughs> um, it just ends up having this stereotype of with Dawn and also to some extent just people who look Dornish um, <laughs> as just being very hot tempered and angry and full of revenge. And, and it's not a good stereotype to have, especially because they also kind of have it with a lot of women. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, there's always hot, you know, hot tempered and angry because you know, whatever. Yeah, there's not an actual explanation of the motives or why. Like, yeah, I mean, the people who want revenge in the books. You're not supposed to agree with them, but you're supposed to understand why they think what they think. We spend time with Wyman Manderley and Duran Martel, and we get the sense of why they want to kill the people who hurt their family. But in the show, at this point, yeah, it's just it's just how they are, you know. Which is, women be stabbing? It's just like much as I love Nina Hetty, that's what Cersei is at this point. <coughs> It's just, it's been slowly sucked out. Which I also will, will say what I also do not like about Dorn is they have, well, spoil, do I need to, can I, the, the spoilers. We, do I need to say anything about that? Okay. When Obara kills Tristan in the show. What? <laughs> Damn, uh, This is why I couldn't have nice things. Um, which, okay, he gets a spear right in the face, um, which is kind of cool. But um, it is kin, it pretty much kin slang, which is equal to say people like Ramsey in the show and a bunch of other super shitty characters. So uh, like that wasn't cool at all because like that's the whole big taboo. Is like don't kill your siblings and relatives because it's not nice. And then you basically make the sand snakes that too, um, which I was not happy about a little bit. 
and vengeance for my family, I will kill my family. Wait, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's go over this plan one more time. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. I, I just, I don't, there's, and, and I guess, like you said, you mentioned it earlier, I think they just didn't, they may have had plans for Dorn in the show at some point, but something happened and they just decided to throw it all out the window. Because by the way, um, does Dorn even exist in the show anymore? Like, they're, like, like their ruling family is dead, and we've not heard mention of them. Oh, it's fine. No they cut their losses. Yeah. Just because the snakes killed Doran and Tristan, that everyone else in Dorn is just you know, accepting them and you. Yeah. yeah, they did the same thing with the Reach too. Um, like it, it's just Olena's gone, so there's there's no more Reach and there's no more. Dorn. The whole like southern third of Westeros doesn't exist anymore. Which, yeah, which is exactly right. Which is a common thing. Exactly. It is. They're just like we. Okay, uh, we don't need Dorn. We don't need the Reach. Let's just throw them overboard. They've gone. Okay, uh, Danny, Cersei, John, boat sex. We're making that season eight happen. That's all we got. But well, that's a common thing with the show. They take a story that has well, a lot of cynicism about politics, yeah. But and they turn into nobody cares about politics. Yeah. Like that's what's become. Even though, I mean, Dorne in the books and in the backstory is, is the kind of stirring counter to that, where it was the Martells and the nobles who ultimately surrendered the Targaryens. It was the small folk who kept up the fight. It was one of the hugest peasant-led political movements in the history of Westeros, and you know, it demonstrates that. Yeah, I mean. The peasants may not care about the Game of Thrones in terms of what claim you have to have the crown, the crown, but they do, they do have political beliefs and ideologies, and are willing to fight and die for them. And as we present on the show, it's just like they're not there, and it's just these five people fighting in a room, and even there's not even consequences for that. Like when um, Ramsay killed Roose, and it was just meaningless. Ramsay killing Roose, I think, is probably going to happen in the books in some capacity. It's been set up pretty strongly, but it's got to mean something. Like you can't. You can't just have the northern lords who built, yeah, like you said, this whole belief system around Kinslaying treat that like it's nothing. Yeah. Especially, especially in the north. Yeah. And then, yeah I mean, I guess, like, I guess they didn't, they, they might have kind of tossed the Kinslaying thing out the window, come to think of it, because have they ever, have they really ever brought, like, the Tyrion thing up in, like, seasons and seasons and seasons? Yeah, well, that's another example of it with Tyrion, where his kind of pain and anger and horribleness guts leached out of the show so quickly. Brian has that speech in the show where about the Rat King or at the Night Fort or whatever mm -hmm. it is. He kind of has a, they kind of go over a little yeah. bit. But That's true. That is a lot of justification for why Stannis, people like we got to kill Stannis because he killed his brother. So a little bit, but also the, I mean, but fans justifying something like that um, is different than like, like the show, I think just they, they wanted to kill Stannis because D and D like clearly hated Stannis, and honestly, I like I feel like I, I, and it's, it's it's actually different because I don't actually feel like they hate Dorn. I feel like they don't care about it, and if that's yeah. the case, then they probably should have just so left it out altogether. Exactly. From from what we gathered, Brian Cogman, the writer, was like the big motivating force for Dorn to even be a thing on the show. Uh, he, you know, whatever you think about Brian Cogman, he's more into the books than a lot of the people who work on the show, so I think that was something he was pushing for. Um, but I agree, it was, there, I mean, there could be nothing more Stannis than being misinterpreted and hated by the people adapting. <laughs> like, the fact again. that the guy never gets credit for anything and is hated by everybody in universe, gets zero credit for anything and is hated by people adapting the story is just mwah. Like, I'm a Stannis fan that there's a perverse joy to that for me that I love. 
But yeah, with Dorn, it's just dispiriting because you hate doing a situation where you, you say it was better if they just hadn't done it. That sucks, but it would just be better if they hadn't done it. If nothing else, that's more money and energy you could spend on other things that weren't that great. So. Uh, yeah, and maybe they liked over and enough. And over, they, yeah. you know, that, that's it a pretty badass like storyline or whatever. Um, but then they were like, ah, shit, like. Now we now we had to kill over him. Right. So what do we? How do we do? tell the story about how Oberyn's daughters were angry people and maybe over maybe Oberyn Goldie wasn't great? How do we do that? Yeah. Um, so on to the future. Uh, I don't know. If, do we want to mention anything related to the minor houses? Because there's a lot of the, uh, they're all kind of. Yeah, Right. Uh, said, I, was, I forgot my parents because all of it was cool because they were the one that actually kind of killed the dragon and they're like kind of the crazy people. Even though Alaria is kind of sane. And then, I don't know, I just made dope because obviously I have an affinity for lemons and pick that up. Uh, but uh, I also think the iron ones are also incredibly important, at least a little okay. fun in books because they've been like a lot of a lot of the. Uh, Seven Kingdoms, they have like what I call the second bananas. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because so you have like within the north, you have like the, the, uh, the Boltons and the Mandalays, yeah. and you know, the Commons, uh, not the Commons, so like Westerlands, you have uh, Tarleys. Tarleys. Oh, that'd be. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. I'm thinking of the Reach. Yeah, yeah the Reach has a lot because you also yeah. have like the Towers. Yeah. Like, but basically, yeah. anybody who was related. Well, the Lannisters don't allow second bananas. Yeah, the Lannisters. Yeah, go like this. Yeah, what's the Reach? The Riverlanders, a bunch too, the Freys, the Malisters, Blackwoods, and the Brackens. Yeah, so and then in Dorne, they have, a lot of it is with the Ironwoods, who were these big, really cool kings. And I'll get a lot of it. No, we cannot cross over. Well, I mean, are the Danes really Dornish? Yeah, the Danes are like their own thing. Listen, do you want to talk about a shower day for the rest of the panel? I wish I could. I know Clay would love it, but I don't know about it. Next year, every panel is going to be about a shower The Danes are almost cute. The Danes, to me, almost feel like they have more in common with the stuff going on right next door in the Reach, the southwestern part of the Reach, with the crazy Lovecraftian history behind Old Town and that part of the world. I don't know, the Danes with the purple eyes and their cool magic sword, magic tower, feel like almost they have more in common with that stuff than they do with the rest of Dorne. Yeah. That's just how it feels like to me. They're kind of, they're right on the line. Right, and with Arc Lucille equals J, they're obviously so heavily wrapped up in that, and that's yeah. so important to the magical and mystical plot. So they're, so much of Dorne is about the politics more than the magical plot, the Danes are kind of the exception to the rule there. I think they're really cool, and I know I didn't, I didn't see Chloe, so I did not mention them. And I apologize because I love Chloe a whole lot. <laughs> not as much as Emma. <laughs> Um, but we yeah. can talk about the future if we wanted to. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Okay, so, uh, what did say? Do we want to talk about uh, the Arian stuff from uh, Wins the Window? Yes, we did. Uh, the past and present, how it shapes the future, and then Arian doing and the roles in the coming war, which will be. Yeah, I will say, um, we are going to talk about the Winds of Winter chapters from Arion, so like if, you, if any of you are abstaining from Winds of Winter chapters, this is just your warning. <laughs> now. There is a couple, but it's just, she travels a lot, she just keeps going north, is yeah. for the most part, but there's, I think, a lot of cool hints where she meets with House Tolerant, who has, back in the day, like, they killed, they didn't kill the dragon, but they have the dragon eating this tail, which is very symbolic of, like, how to defeat dragons, and there's, like, oh, Aelian gets a bunch of possible knowledge in books of, like, how to defeat dragons. She just ignores it, which is fine. Um, that's probably telling. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Telling. that's going to be trouble. Yeah, yeah because like they mentioned one of the books she had was like, there's like Septim Thoughts, perhaps, which might have didn't get burnt. 
And so it's like, oh, they'd probably tell you how to kill dragons, but eh, she didn't read it, it was boring. Um, so you have this, this whole quest she's going on to go see uh, the, Fagon, 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 Targaryen, the six young boy, him. Um, who, of course, we all. If, I mean, if you've been following it, there's a high chance he's a black fire man. <laughs> uh, so uh, you have this. So it's it's this odd. Like I feel it's really, it's really weird because they were so against dragons. And then they started going for the red dragons, and now it's like, well, we want to try and get revenge, so we might have this black dragon do this. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's very odd. They're all gonna die. They all yeah. die. I do, I do like Arian's Arian's uh, travel log. Though. Yeah, yeah. she goes through the Rainwood. It's really which cool. mentions uh, yeah. which mentions like these stone faces. So there was this mm. whole thing about possibly like that's like, because like the children of the forest stay in the you know the air, to get the caves in the forest. Exactly, the very air. So. This, uh, you know, it, it taps in a lot more of the fantasy and supernatural that we don't have a whole lot of. In, from Dorne, from, yeah. Especially yeah. from Dorne. Exactly right. Like, like yeah. I, I didn't know, I'm like, oh, cool, those stone, those really neat caves with stone faces in the Stonelands. We don't hear much about them, I know. It's true. Um, so I think that's really neat. And I like her party, which has Elias and... Um, it's just the younger her, Younger yeah. her. Sent along to torment her by her she's dad. She's like a like, father-daughter thing. She's like, yeah, a, yeah she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's a young Oberyn, and I think they also throw a lot of, uh, of illusions or comparisons to Liana. Like very, yes. This very strong, tomboyish gal who likes jousting, right. horses, doesn't yeah. care, and makes some, some naughty jokes, <laughs> and that kind of deal. Uh, and she's like traveling with her ex-boyfriend too, which I think is kind of silly. Yeah, Damon Sand, Damon right? Sand. Um, who knows her? You know, knows her better than anyone. So when she starts trying to, yeah, you know, weasel out her feelings about Quentin, he kind of cuts through. But yeah, I love that you brought up the house, the house Tolinda, so the dragon eating its own tail. That's a kind of classic image of time: is the the snake eating its own tail, and you know, circles of time and things coming back on themselves. And that's definitely what we see in the Martell plot. Like you said, they were, you know, they've been in league with and against the dragon before multiple times, and that's coming up again. Uh, they're kind of interesting to have the Martells side with the Blackfires, if unknowingly, because of course the Martells have been bitter enemies of the Blackfires uh, since the Blackfires existed. With the exception of Ironwood sometimes, which grows. That's true, and that might come up in the story going forward. The Ironwoods fall into the Blackfire rebellions and might decide to do so again. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at those Ariane chapters, uh, I love yeah, I love her travelogue. I love the kind of description of the nature, but there's also these strong hints that it's all going to go very, very poorly. Uh, when she meets with the with the Toland family, one of them, Tiora Toland, the youngest member of the family, uh, has what sounds strongly like prophetic dreams, even though the family dismisses them. And she says, in her dreams, the dragons were dancing, and everywhere the dragons danced, the people died, which is of course very resonant with Dornish history, given the uh, calamitous dragon-led invasions. And then, uh, even more blatant, in her second release, Winds of Winter chapter, when she's dealing with uh, Elias Sand, as he said, uh, uh, being naughty and flirting with the servant, uh, she, she, and she runs off at one point, and uh, Ariane grabs her and yells her, you could have died, and Martin describes it, die, 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 echoing off the cave walls, which is pretty blatant foreshadowing of going horribly wrong for these characters. So, I mean, that's what we've seen with the Martells so far. As Tara said, whenever they leave Dorne, they get in huge trouble. Oberon went to King's Landing, got his skull smashed in for his trouble. Quentin went to Slaver's Bay and got burned to death for his trouble. Not just deaths, but like horrible, violent, grisly deaths that make you feel bad about humanity and just want to curl up into a ball. Like there's nothing heroic or stirring about it. It's just awful on purpose. Deliberately, I think, to have this kind of tragic tone that I think is probably going to befall uh, Duran and Ariane given that, given that setup. I think 
and all likelihood they're probably gonna side with Young Griff, and I think Danny's not gonna be happy about that. Yeah, very much. She should have just married Quentin. Though. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would. I mean, he tried. He gave. He gave. That's the, that's how smart those words. We tried. Ariana the queen making, Quentin yeah. with the dragon taming, Oberyn with Gregor. So we did our best, and we just failed. Horribly. Yeah, yeah. But they're still going through it, and that's like the, the resilient folks. Yeah, that's, that's what makes what's it sad. Also really cool because I, I always think going school because they, they don't tip, you know. The they get knocked down, and they get up again. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely, that's their thing. Yeah, we try their words, and that's their thing, so it's now not. How, how smart child is the new number one? But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you all got any questions, or comments, concerns? Criticisms by me, all means, I just direct them totally. I have an opportunity for, for Emmett to uh, be entertainingly opinionated. Yeah, about, that's me. Uh, about the Clinton chapter and Preston um, Jacobs' commentary about it. If we assume that, I think you think that Dance of Dragons is George at his best, you know, he's been doing this for a while, this is some of the best writing. Agreed. Um, and you agree that the, the point of Clinton's story is to be tragic mm -hmm. and, and to fail. There's a lot of shiftiness in that chapter about George is doing that thing where someone is about to die and then the camera cuts away, that's the end of the chapter. That's usually the point where something unexpected happens because we assume something happens and we come back and we find out that wasn't the thing. And when Barristan is talking to whoever else is present, they're relating what happened. Literally the text is saying that they're giving each other shifty looks about what they're having. Do you have an alternate explanation other than why Quentin is alive. Sure, sure. Is yeah. something, something's going on. The cutting away point is perfectly valid. He did that with Davos, Theon, Arya, a bunch of different characters where he had fake out deaths. Then again, we've also had Arya being turned away from Ned as he was executed. We didn't actually see that happen on the page, and Ned is very much dead. So I think, uh, I think there's some variation. I think Martin does that on purpose. I think he wants you to be unsure and not always know, because if it was a, a guarantee every time he did that that the person was alive, that would give it away too. So I think that's I think it's a perfectly valid argument, but I, I think it could just as easily be the counterexample where he cuts away for dramatic, purely dramatic purpose. Like we get this one horrible image of Quentin on fire, and him realizing at that moment he thinks oh to himself, and it's all falling apart. He's realized it was all for nothing. His friends died for nothing. He's oh, not the hero. He's never going home. He's just going to burn to death. Um, and I think Martin cut away at that point for dramatic purposes, but I think it's it's totally valid. It might have been uh, to keep a secret. As for Drink and Arch looking at each other shiftily, I'd have to look at the page, but from what I remember about that scene, it's uh, Barristan kind of digging into their motives with the Tattered Prince, uh, and the promise Quentin made to the Tattered Prince to deliver him Pentos in exchange for helping him get the dragon. Uh, I remember they were being shifty about admitting that and about helping the Tattered Prince kind of fulfill that promise uh, for Barristan. Again, I'd have to look at the, the scene, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, in general about Quentin, the reason I think he's dead is because it's built into his storyline from the beginning on. The very first words of his first POV chapter are Adventure Stank, referring to a ship named Adventure, but the wordplay is pretty clear. That his story is about how this, uh, you know, beautiful banner-shining fantasy quest he's been promised uh, is just an endless series of horrors and humiliations and losses along the way. I think it's perfectly thematically congruent that it ends with his death, in the same way that kind of Ned having the scales fall from his eyes at King's Landing led to his death. Um, if, if Quentin comes back now, I think it's going to just feel cheap, and I think it's going to feel like his character is done, and he's got he's got nothing else to do. Um, it would be for me the equivalent of, of having Serio Pharrell not actually be dead, which is another yeah. example. Yeah. The whole point of Serio Pharrell 
is that he gave his life for Arya, and he did it willingly because that's what being first sword meant to him. Not being a badass, not being able to escape, not having the great stories told about you, but that willingness, the fir that the first sword does not run. No, no choice. And Quentin, no chance and no choice, exactly right. And Quentin, for much sadder reasons, didn't run either. Well, to your other point previously, you said that not just him, but everything that they tried as a family or as a house. Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's not just him. It's it's Quentin's failure in, in Slaver's Bay is meant to parallel Oberyn's failure in King's Landing. It's meant to parallel, I think, what's going to happen to Arianne and the Stormlands. Uh, I think this is just a, re a repeated motif for the Martells. I think Quentin being alive. Was also, just what would he do? What would, what would his story be? What would his character be about at this point? I mean, I love him, but I love him in large part because of his sadness and doom. Like, he's not... I don't think he can carry a story on his own without that arc. So... We'll he's see. Kind of, he's kind of everything. He's yeah. exactly right. He's supposed to be normal. Like he's supposed to like just right. like what? Ariana first read multiple he, details about her breasts. He's Charlie. And then, <laughs> yeah, like, and, and then Quentin's just like he kind of looks like Tony and kind of gross and just like I think right. just like he knows, I just want to kiss and I am like, uh, like uh, if I was a princess, yeah. I would. Exactly, exactly right. That's the point. He's being pushed into this role where he's supposed to be the messiah, and he knows deep down that he's not cut out for this remotely, but for the sake of his family and his friends who died getting him there, he keeps trying. Um, and I think the ultimate tragedy of that is that, yeah, he dies, and he was obviously going to die, but he, he kept going because he couldn't see any other, any other way to live. Well, I mean, and not every, what I like about it is that not, it's, it's just, it's well written because it, it's proof that not every male hero has to be a hero. Like, no. not every guy character has to be a Rob or a John. Sometimes there's just a Quentin. And, <laughs> and that makes the more Yes. Sorry, it's changing the subject a little bit. Um, what role do you think the Dornish are going to play in the upcoming political upheaval in King's Landing? Since they sent Tyene, uh, was it, or Nigerian? No, they sent Lady Both. Both. Yeah. Well, and, different yeah. missions. And like, Cersei being kind of dethroned is going to. And then Kevin dying yeah. I, I think that's that's uh, that's doing a lot of the placing, placing his bets because he's got. Mm -hmm. He's got Lady Nim on the council. He's got the uh, he's got Tyene with the high Septon. Uh, he's got Sorrow at Old Town. So he's he's just I feel like he's utilizing the Sand Snakes as a good spy network. I mean, I think I think Sorella is in Old Town because she wants. She's to be. yeah, I'm leaning towards that. Even how she talks about yeah, it. And, and, and they t they kind of talk about her as like this person who exists and everything. But like, and they know she is and they're fine with it. But they're I don't think she's part of any like overreaching no. plot. I think it's 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 Agreed. good for them that she's there, but yeah. I think she's there for a militia. Well, Leave her to her game, I yeah. think. Yeah, she has her own yeah. she has her own game, but with, with But uh, it's, it fits, yeah. Uh -huh. With the the rest of them, I think that, you know, like the there's a good chance that there's gonna be some kind of perhaps in the in the in the in the books there's gonna be more like a high septin shenanigans and I might possibly get involved with that. And I don't know how they're going to treat Lady Nim so well because sure she's Blanching noble, but she's also a bastard from Dorn, um, which at least Dorn's cool about bastards, but the rest of the kingdom isn't. So, yeah, and Cersei gets along great with other powerful women. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, trashy. If I can speak as a trashy person, um, <laughs> please do. I mean, she already kind of hooked up with Tiana. And I was like, well, if you're gonna throw another hot uh, kind of form with a lady in King's Landing, by all means, I won't stop you, considering we already know that. 
She's got to get her pick somewhere. What's the future for House Martell? Are they still running door at the end of this? Or Ooh, Tristan might be alive if he gets yeah. somewhere safe. Yeah. I, 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 I they, really they just smart. stay where they are. Yeah, yeah, just fine. No, I mean, Sorella's really no, smart. She's out of the way of all that stuff. Maybe she. I like her a lot. She's got that great line about. She's an old town. That's true. She's in the way of her own other. Impending disaster. No one is safe. She has that line I love about she's doing archery practice and she misses the last one. Someone says, You always miss the last one. She says, The, the day you make them all, the day you stop improving. Which is just great. That's just a great, nice line. Yeah, so I like her a lot. one more? I don't know. One more quick quick line. You try to see a parallel between Stark family and Martell family. Start out doing great when they're in their own place, and then the moment they try to go out of that place. Yeah, yeah, that's when you start out with. No, I mean, it's absolutely what it is. They're parallel. The water gardens and the kettle master eats with Ned Stark, and then the water gardens, the small folks swim with the Lord's children. Exactly right, there's that connection to the small folks. Yeah, they integrate themselves in the culture of the fools. And then they leave those places and things are bad. Ironwoods versus the Boltons, as Mo pointed out. It's the second in command that kind of always resents their position. Um, and uh, and you have, like, yeah, even family relations. Uh, Oberyn versus Duran is very similar to Brandon versus Ned in a lot of ways. You have the wild, kind of sexually active warrior one, quiet, reserved, arguably smarter one. Arguably in that case. But um, yeah, so I think, yeah, Stark and Altel parallels, I think, are so many that they're definitely deliberate. We brought up uh, Lady Lance and uh, Liana earlier. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. All right, we got to wrap up because we have a uh, quiplash happening in here. True, but we'll just give a shout out to Spicy Food and Spicy Women in Doran. So thank you for coming to the panel. Thanks for coming, everybody.